0: good to be with you tonight. Thanks for coming. Um, I don't know who was here last week. A few of you were here last week, but we embarked on this um, series, Revival Now, really looking at what revival might look like if it was to happen. And that's what we're anticipating. We're wanting a revival now, for now, not for yesteryear or for any historic revival that has already been, but a revival that is fit for purpose for today. That's what we need, isn't it? And so last week we began looking at how we need a new Jesus movement and hopefully these recordings will be available soon in some form so um, if you missed that you'll maybe get to listen to it again but tonight I want us to consider how we need a new prayer movement for revival today we need a new prayer movement let's just pray briefly now and please unite your heart with me and ask the Lord that he might speak to us now ask that he would speak to your heart personally where you're at Father, we thank you for the songs that have been sung and we praise your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with your glory. We pray that we would eyes to see your glory tonight in this place. Lord Jesus, we uplift your name and like your disciples of old, we ask you, Lord, teach us to pray. Show us how to really pray to our Heavenly Father effectively. And even tonight, Lord, you pour out upon us a spirit of prayer, real prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay, I want you to turn to one scripture. We'll be looking at several tonight. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah 12, is just one verse. You're all panicking now, aren't you? Zechariah, I have one of those Bibles really thumb places you can look up the books. Zechariah, it's not the easiest to find, near the end of your Old Testament there. Um, Chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. Now, I know some of you prophetic experts out there will know the context which that is in biblical prophecy and it may have a future reference and so on and so forth. Not getting into that here tonight. Just what I want you to note is that there's this pouring out of a spirit of grace and supplication. Grace and supplication. An ability of grace, that's what grace is, it's a supernatural energization to do something that you couldn't do without it. And so there's grace being given here to pray. And some translations just translate this, a spirit of grace and prayer. Another puts it like this, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So God is pouring this out upon his people to enable them to pray as they need to pray. And if you know anything about revival, historically speaking, you will know that prayer precedes every revival. I don't know of any revival that there wasn't prayer before. Even Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they were gathered together in prayer, weren't they? I remember years ago reading Andrew Murray, there's many wonderful things to say about prayer and revival. And he said this, the person who sets the church praying will do the most for world evangelization. The person who sets the church praying will do most for world evangelization. And that's why any evangelistic organization worth their salt will also be a prayer organization. Because without God we can do nothing. In fact, um, this was one of the major inspirations. Um, that I had with a number of other people for the Prayer Ireland app. If you don't know about Prayer Ireland app, you need to download it. You need to use it. It's a 24-7, not the organization 24-7, but a 24-7 prayer covering. That's what we're attempting to do, 15-minute slots for the whole of Ireland. You can join up to that. Um, But the whole idea was, look, if we're going to see change in Ireland, we need to pray more. We need to saturate the whole island in prayer and the church needs to gather and have a canopy of prayer covering as many minutes as we can to see God pour out his blessing upon us. But it is historically proven and it's biblically accurate to say that when God's going to do something, he sets his people praying. And there is, of course, this cycle of prayer. Do you know what that is? Basically, the way prayer works is God places his desires in us his people and then what happens is those desires that are his that he implants in us they become our desires and so then we go to God and ask for what we want and we're actually asking for what he wants and we get it because we're asking according to his will you might say that's a bit of a fix well so what we get what God wants and that really becomes what we want and it's what's for our good that's the way prayer works the cycle of prayer. But you might say, and I hope that you're questioning things that I'm saying, you might say, if it was that simple asking for revival, then uh, why don't we have revival every week? Because it's clearly what God wants, if it's God's desire, and I believe it is God's desire. Can I say that I believe that revival is actually God's norm? I believe that revival is New Testament authentic Christianity, and it's what God wants all the time. Some might disagree with that, but I have to beg to differ on that one. Now, I know that God is sovereign, and I know he moves sovereignly in revival. But if revival is God's desire, if life is God's desire, if, if a healthy, vibrant bride is what he wants for his son, why is it that if that's his desire and it's our desire, I think, why do we not have it? Discounting God's sovereignty for a moment tonight. Is there more to it than that? Is there more to it than that? Now, there have been new prayer movements in recent modern times. It's very encouraging, I have to say. I mean, if you think about it, over the last 50 years, there has been an emergence of many different global prayer movements. I remember reading years ago as a young man, um, Dick Eastman's book, The Are That Changed the World. Has anybody read that one? And you get the wee chart in it, uh, dividing up the hour of prayer into five minute segments of the different types of prayer that we find in the scripture. It's a wonderful book, really good one to read. I still use that diagram in my prayer times sometimes. And he launched an incredible movement out of prayer called Every Home for Christ. And Every Home for Christ desired to see every single home across the face of the earth. And they're working on it now. They have been working on it for years. Every single home touched with the gospel. It's an incredible movement. Look them up, Google them, find out about them. They're amazing. But it came out of a prayer movement. And then there's IHOP, that's International House of Prayer, Kansas City. And uh, they, they have a harp and bowl rhythm of praying and praising. But there's a constant uh, ascent of incense of prayer unto God in that place. And of course, there's been many houses of prayer that have popped up all over the world. I was involved in a house of prayer in Portadown for seven years. And I know you've got the house of prayer Island as well with crown Jesus. It's incredible what God's doing through prayer houses, prayer hubs. And of course, there have been, there's 24-7 international movement of prayer, and there's various national and international cooperative prayer organizations and events. And so you can't help feel something's going on, isn't it? That there's a positioning of intercession, maybe, in anticipation of what God's about to do. And there are other exceptional resources. I mean, really, we have no excuse for prayerlessness in our lives. I mean, take your phones, and um, I know there's, there's the Bible app, and it's got many prayer resources on it. There's Abide. Anybody ever used Abide? Meditation app. Soul Time. It's another very effective one, and one I've been dipping into lately, is Glorify. And all of these are devotional apps that we can use, You know, variety is the spice of life, and if you know anything about your quiet time and your times with God, you need to shake them up a little bit to keep them interesting. I find that they're constantly changing for me. I go back to things, I leave things down for a while, and then come back to them again. But there's so much, isn't there, to benefit us, to encourage us to pray. And you might think, well, how can we have a new prayer movement then? Because it seems as if everything's starting to happen. Well, new can mean something that's unique like some of these resources I've mentioned. Never seen the like before. But new can also not only mean something original, but something that's a new expression of an old concept. And especially that's what revival often is. It's not the same old revival we once saw in history, but it's a new expression of the life of God, because every revival is the life of God. It's an expression of God's life again, flooding into the corpse of the church, and very often revival does have new original elements to it, but more often than not it's a rediscovering of something old that has been lost and missing from the church. And I think even with all our innovations and developments in the prayer movement, we may have lost certain elements that we need to rediscover again. And I want to share those tonight. The first one is repentant prayer. Second Chronicles 7.14 is probably the most quoted revival verse. If my people that are called by my name, you could say it with me, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Now I think it's often a misunderstood verse to some extent, but apart from that, let's ignore that for a moment. Many people miss they they, they delve into the prayer bit and the healing of the land bit, but it says that God's people are to humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. Then, humble themselves and repent. That's what turning from your wicked ways means, repent. And over the years, I've witnessed certain movements that purport to desire revival, but they posture themselves in calling the world to repentance. They, if you like, take the moral high ground. Let me give you an example of this. Take the, the pro life movement in our land and the, the anti abortion movement in Northern Ireland. I've been a part of that, so you know, understand that. But I've heard comments such as Brandon Lewis needs to he's the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, he needs to repent. Or the Prime Minister Boris Johnson needs to repent and the stormant, the legislature and the MLAs, they need to repent. And I even heard it said, and there's even a group of people, and I'm not putting them down or anything, I'm just saying what I observed, who gathered in Armagh whenever the Queen was meant to be there, and prior to uh, her telling us that she wasn't coming, um, they were saying that they were going to call on the Queen even to repent over what was going in our land in, in respect of abortion. And my question to that is, what if actually the reason why we're seeing abortion legislated for is the lukewarmness of the church? What What if? What if God's people need to humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways? And then God will hear from heaven. What if we as the church have compromised our sexual ethics as the gatekeepers of marriage and holiness what if we the church who are the gatekeepers of the family have dropped the ball in how we've treated women in how we have treated the children over the years do you think there's a point there take pornography pornography Imagine talking about pornography in church. I got ticked off one time talking about these things in church. But we need to talk about pornography in church. You know why? Because pornography is in the church. And pornography is probably the biggest problem that we have in the church. And I heard just last week that now the figures are in the research that the problem is 50 50 with men and women porn addiction. And along with Crown, not Crown Jesus, that's you, CVM, um, which now is called Rumbo, um the men's movements, Bud Murphy heads up, um, we launched a, a purity course called the Conquer Series during lockdown. And you know what was one of the biggest problems we had? I'm sorry for the pastors here tonight, but I just have to say it. Um, I'm not saying it was you, but um, we couldn't get pastors to advertise this among their church. We, could, we couldn't get it out among the Christian community. And I'm not going to say why that might be. But why is it? And I have a theory, I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. That we in the church are actually feeding the ruling spirits that we take the moral high ground against. So we stand up against abortion, we stand up against gay marriage, we stand up against all these things that we think or ab- abhorrent or whatever in, in our moral high ground. And I'm not entering into to the biblical element of it. We know what's true from God's word, absolutely. But what I'm saying is we are compromised. We are caught in our own hypocrisy because the very things that we are opposing, we're feeding underhandedly with our habits and our lifestyles. And the things that we've we condoned, and not only condoned, but we have solemnized I know it's heavy stuff. Take another issue, sectarianism. And we can condemn violence over the many years of the troubles, but we ignore how we as the church have contributed to the sectarian spirit. If my people humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. This is the classic removing a splinter from your brother's eye when there's a big plank hanging out of yours. We are experts at that. Remember the parable of the, the publican and the sinner. You may be turned with me to it in Luke chapter um, 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Wow. Listen to that. Trusted in themselves trusted in their history, trusted in their tradition, trusted in their doctrine, that they were righteous and despised others. (sighs) Jesus hasn't even started speaking here. And that's like a sucker punch, isn't it? Look down on others because they don't believe what you believe. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. (laughs) Don't you love it? He prayed with himself. He'd talk about the prayers hitting the ceiling. They didn't even reach the ceiling. He was just talking to himself. And how many of us that quote this verse, if my people, we're just talking to ourselves because we're not dealing with the plank in our eye. Where is it? Verse 11. Prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you. I'm so full of gratitude. What's this gratitude for? That I'm not like other men. <laughs> thank you for our denomination, our movement. Because we, we have it all sorted. <laughs> We've got it all right. We're so holy. We've arrived. I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this as this tax collector. Sorry, I'm not deliberately pointing at you, Steve. I fast twice a week. Would not be good. Some of us could do with it. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God merciful to me a sinner I tell you Jesus said this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone listen to this everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted this is new testament that's what Jesus said James the half-brother of our Lord said James 4, 8 to 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He doesn't say but, there's a kind of but inferred. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. There's what the Bible calls a contrite and a humble spirit and God loves it. You know, God resists the pride, but he can't resist the humble. He can't resist them. Listen to some scriptures. Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Isaiah fifty-seven, fifteen: I love this one. For thus says the High and lofty One who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Look at look at the actions here. The High and the Holy One says, "I dwell in the high and holy place." With him who is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. In other words, if you want this is the kingdom, the law of the kingdom, if you want to go up you have to go down. So if you ever see a ladder, climb down it. That's kingdom. Isaiah 66, 2. For all those things my hand has made, says the Lord, and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. We need repentant prayer. How will we conquer the earth? We can do all the spiritual warfare you like and all that name it and claim it you like. But Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. The humble, the gentle. And if ever we doubted it, all we have to look and see is that this was the Jesus way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being... In very nature of God, thought equality with God, not something to be grasped at, but humbled himself and made himself of no reputation and being found in fashion as a man, he became a slave, a servant. He humbled himself even unto death on the cross. Therefore, therefore, dynamics Humbling himself to the lowest place, God has a, therefore highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under in the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. But high By going low. And I am maybe bold enough to say that we will not have revival without repentance. You might have forms of renewal perhaps and there usually is some repentance in there, mixed in there, but I don't think we'll have the revival that we're looking for without repentance. Now this might seem a contradiction from what I've just said, but not only do we need repentant prayer, we need confident prayer. It might seem a contradiction with humility to be Confident, But you see, there's a difference between self-confidence and confidence in God. You understand me? God-confidence is necessary for an ingredient for our praying and revival prayer in particular. Let me give you this under two points of the type of confident praying. We need to pray with authority. And when I say pray with authority, it's not about who you are. It's about knowing who God is to you and who you are to God. You understand? Who we are to God and who he is to us and the inheritance that we have as sons and daughters and as a kingdom of priests and priestesses and the promises that we have that are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. The NIV 2 Corinthians one twenty puts it like this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So all God's promises that he ever made are complete in Christ. And we say amen to those promises in Jesus and we see them fulfilled. That's the confidence that we have in him. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, Behold, I give you authority. I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And just before he ascended to heaven after his resurrection, there he was, he spoke to his disciples in the Great Commission. We often skirt over this to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but he said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But it's because of his authority that we can go and take ground in his name. That's the authority that we have. And This is a whole subject on its own. But I believe that when we humble ourselves and pray, and we understand how broken we are, how weak we are, how much we need the Lord, and how much we need to repent of our sins and deal with those idols... But then we rise up in the confidence of who Jesus is, the promises that we have in him, and the authority that he has in we as we stand in him, above all principality, power, might, and dominion, in every name that has ever been named among men. Then we'll see things happen. As we stand in the authority of Christ. That's confident praying. A lot more can be said about it. But a second point on confident praying is praying in faith. When I'm talking about repenting prayer and humble prayer and contrite prayer. I'm not talking about mealy mouth, whining prayer. Oh, please, 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 Lord. Like the begging bowl, orphan Oliver, you know, please, sir, can I have more? That's not the relationship that we have with God. And however broken and humble we are, we need to realize that it's faith, faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. so what Charles Wesley said. So faith is necessary. I turn to two scriptures with me. First John five fourteen fifteen. First John five fourteen and fifteen. This is the kind of praying that we need for revival. Revival praying this is the kind of prayer we need for answered prayer. In fact, First John 5, 14, 15. Now this is the confidence talking about confidence that we have in Him. So it's not the confidence in ourselves. The confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So if he is putting his desires in our hearts, that's the prerequisite for this. Then when we ask for the things that we desire, we're asking according to his will and we can be confident that we get the answer. Now, is that the way we pray I have a little notebook at home that I made years ago. I went through marking my Bible and I highlighted all the promises of God in orange highlighter. And I noted down in like a directory of the different things you could have promises for. Alphabetical directory. I'm be a bit of a freak here, but I'm an anorak. But I, I can just look all this up and find a promise for this, that and the other that I can claim before God. It's like Spurgeon used to say, he wrote that devotional, the treasury of the, the, the bank of heaven. And it was the faith checkbook he talked about, wasn't it? That we write these checks in faith upon God's word and we cash them in at the bank of heaven to see God's promises fulfilled. Another, Mark 11, look at this verse. This is one you should be highlighting in orange if you're going to follow me. Mark 11, verse 22 through to 24. Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. That could be translated, have the faith of God. That's not common sense, that is faith sense. Common sense is, if Mitch gives me his brand new iPhone there and puts it in my hand, I know that I've got the iPhone when I I, I have it, when I possess it. That's not what this is saying. Faith is when you know you have it and it's not in your hand. That's not common sense, that's faith sense. And that's the kind of faith that God answers. Now, he has to give you the promise for it. You're not just wishing it. Not just wishing it plucking it out of the air no 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 he gives you the title deed it's actually how the amplified version translates hebrew 11 that faith is the title deed the proof faith is the proof that it's going to come but that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god so you have got to get a word of faith from the lord you have got to hear his voice but when you hear his voice, you take it and believe you've got it even before the tangible material thing is in your possession. And that's what we've we've got to believe, that God wants revival and God is going to bring revival as if revival is here and now, and it's not. We've got to start praying in that kind of confident faith, knowing that, that the, with the authority to pray that way, but that God actually wants to do that. So repentant prayer, confident prayer. Thirdly, warfare prayer. I don't mean jumping around going, that's the way some people get on. That's not what we're talking about. Graham Cook put it like this. Listen, the first stage of warfare is to change the atmosphere around us where we live, work, and worship. The first stage of warfare is to change the atmosphere around us where we live, work, and worship. Let me give it a challenge here. Actually, in reference to last week, I don't know whether you remember this. Of course, you wouldn't if you weren't here. But um, at the end, Sharon, who's here tonight, gave a word. Um, and what she said was something along the lines of that young men in our land had been brought up to be, they were told to be defenders of the, the faith or defenders of the truth. So this was the real, particularly the Protestant thing. you know. And also, with the crying, no surrender. And she suggested that she was hearing God saying that this was a generational thing that needed to be broken for God to break in in our community. Now, I'm not being critical here tonight. Please don't misunderstand me. But nobody lifted that. Nobody prayed behind that last week. And when God speaks, we need to listen. But we need to move on what God's showing us and what God's saying. So I think there's a thing, when we're talking about warfare prayer, there's a thing I would I would christen it prior prayer. There's prior prayer. There's prayer before we even start really praying or interceding. And what I'm talking about is we say, Lord, what do you want us to pray for? To actually be in a posture of emptiness where you're allowing him to put his desires in your heart so that you can start asking. But we just launch him with what we think is the right thing that needs to be done. Now, the objectors to warfare prayer might say, well, they didn't need to do this before now, did they? You look at uh, revival history and you don't find all this spiritual warfare talk and pulling down strongholds and all this language. Well, let me ask you, first of all, how do you know how do you know they weren't praying that way, but in a different language, in a different way, that they weren't putting down some of their strongholds? I would suggest that they were in their own way in that time. But secondly, let me ask you the question, how deep do you want to go? Now, it's audacious of me to say this, but I believe this, otherwise I wouldn't say it. The 1859 revival was incredible, and Mitch has given us some... Um, Amazing historical tours on video and in person here of what actually happened out of this place during the 1859 revival, let alone right across um, Ulster. But 1859 did not engulf Ireland. It came from the United States. It hit Wales. It hit England, parts of England. It hit Ulster. It didn't, largely apart from a couple of pockets around the Dublin area, It didn't hit the rest of Ireland. I'll tell you, it didn't even hit all of Ulster. you know why? And I know this because of the places I've been over my time and even places I've lived. There are certain parts of County Down, for instance, that that are Unitarian strongholds. And the revival didn't hit there. And Unitarianism is basically Christian atheism, if that's not a contradiction in terms, but um, it divests God of all power and all dignity and the blood of its effectualness, But even the Roman Catholic areas were not touched, largely because the Roman Catholic Church did not embrace the revival at that time. But we also have to look at ourselves and look at how maybe there were problems on our part, things that needed pulled down, strongholds within our communities that would not let the revival seep out to others who needed it. So I'm asking you now, how deep do you want to go? If you don't want just a revival that replicates that of the past, but you actually want a revival that touches Ireland, north, south, east, and west, that's what I want. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the great harvest that comes before the second coming of Jesus. That's global. That's what I'm looking for. So how far you want this revival go? It's related to how much we repent and how much we war to pull down our idols. Do we want to break up the fallow ground for a revival that will engulf the whole of the Isle? That's what I want to see. So there's repentant prayer in a new prayer movement. There's confident prayer. There's warfare prayer. Then there's united prayer. And I'm not going to talk about this because I'm going to spend a whole week, I think, on a new unity movement at a later Thursday night, whenever the Lord tells me that's the one to do it, but one three three, Psalm one three three, you know it, don't you? How beautiful, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There God commands the blessing, life forevermore. And generally speaking, revival movements have been unity movements. But we we'll leave that for another minute. It has to be united prayer. And finally, persevering prayer. Persevering prayer. Now, please, I hope that I don't come across as critical. I'm just giving you what's on my heart, and I believe God's giving it to me. And I love worship, okay? I love worship. I talked last week week about the Jesus movement and how a lot of the stringed instruments have been rediscovered, brought into the sanctuary. Um, have, have been because of the Jesus movement and there's been a real new move of God's spirit throughout Christian music and contemporary music. So understand my heart on this. And I play music all day and I love soaking in God's presence and praying with music in my ears and behind me and the background and all the rest. But listen, somewhere along the way, we have lost the practice of pressing through in prayer. And singing is a form of prayer. You'll learn that from Dick Eastman's book, one of the five minutes of the hour was singing. So singing, look at the Psalms, is a prayer book but it's full of songs. So I'm not against that at all. But I've been to so many prayer gatherings and in inverted commas now and it's mostly singing and there's very little praying. Do you know one of the main ways years ago people used to learn how to pray effectively? It was listening to the prayers of other people. You went to the prayer meeting. Now you heard Cooks tour the World at times from people who wanted to show all their Bible knowledge to you, you know, and preach a sermon against Aggie or Maggie or Sammy, the other side of the church and their you know, their horizontal prayers, not vertical prayers. I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about people who really knew how to hold lay hold on God. Men and women who knew how to pull heaven down. Praise gatherings have their place, don't misunderstand me. And I believe God inhabits the praises of his people, and I believe all the music will go in the new revival of God. But if that's all we're doing, we've lost what is conducive to persevering prayer, and we're not going to make disciples that are prayer warriors. If you go to Luke chapter eleven, Jesus is asked by his disciples, they saw him going off and praying praying, praying, nights of prayer. Going away from the crowd and the wildernesses and desert places, onto a mountaintop and praying. And they said, teach us to pray. Because we see you pray. John taught his disciples to pray. You teach us to pray. Show us how to get to the Father. And he gives us the disciples' prayer our Father, which art in heaven. But then he tells the parable. Do you know it? If you want to look at it, in Luke chapter 11, he gives us this parable of the, the, the friend that comes at midnight and knocks wraps the door and keeps persisting. And and he he tells us because he is his friend, he doesn't answer, but because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much bread as he needs. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this parable thinking that God's, you know, he's tight-fisted and we have to kind of prize his hand open to get blessings from him. No, that's not what it's saying. It's actually juxtaposing God with this man. It's saying God's different. God's the complete opposite of it. God wants to bless you. So if this man who's tight fisted gives the neighbour what he wants, how much more will God give you what you need? So that's not what this parable is saying. But what it does teach us, and what Jesus goes on to say in verse 9 on, where he says, Ask, seek, and knock, for whoever asks receives, whoever seeks finds, whoever knocks the door will be open. What I believe Jesus is teaching, that it often takes time and effort for us, for us to get into the right position to receive what God is abundantly desirous to pour out upon us. See the difference? All the asking, seeking, knocking isn't to get God woke up to say that, oh, we have a need down here, you know, you wouldn't care to give us it something. It's not like that at all. He is just waiting to empty heaven's coffers on our head. But we're not in a place to receive it. And if we did receive it, we couldn't steward it. We would lose it as quick as that. As quick as it was given now. So the asking, the seeking, and the knocking is about us. In my opinion, it's about us being in a place where we can receive what God wants to do. And for that to happen, there has to be persevering prayer. I thank God for the many helps that we have. The prayer movements, and the apps, and the praise. Thank God. But listen, in bygone eras... All they could do was pray and keep praying. And they kept praying until the blessing came. I'm not being romantic about the bygone days. I'm not. Honestly, you know my heart. And you know I preached last week and at the launch of this this new venture in the building. But if we are too arrogant to think that we, we can't learn and rediscover things that have been lost, that's not humble praying. You know what revival prayer is? You know what a prayer movement needs to be? Fervent prayer that storms the gates of heaven and plunders the gates of hell. Fervent prayer that stakes heaven with violence and robs hell of its trophies. will we be that new prayer movement? God needs it. It's a Strong statement to say God needs anything. But I think he has, can I say it, I think he has put himself in a corner with his commitments to mankind that it appears to me from the scriptures that he will do nothing without prayer. You will find someone somewhere was praying. Duncan Campbell gathered about 30 people around him to pray the Hebrides. And he said, I'm quoting him now, while the hours were passing by, I found myself fighting and not getting anywhere. You ever felt like that in prayer? After midnight, he says, I turned to a young man and said, I feel led by God to ask you to pray. Duncan Campbell recounts that this dear man got up and said, Oh God, you made a promise to pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, and Lord, it's not happening. And he paused for a moment, and then he continued, Lord, I don't know how the others here stand in your presence. I don't know how the ministers stand. But Lord, I know anything, if I know anything about my own heart, I stand before you as an empty vessel, thirsting for you for a manifestation of your power. And he halted again. And then after a moment of tense silence, he cried, listen, Oh God, your honor is at stake. Oh God, your honor is at stake. And I now challenge you to fulfill your covenant engagement and do what you have promised to do. That's revival praying. And Duncan Campbell records. I heard him say it myself on a recording. Believe it or not, you can check it if you want. The house was shaking like a leaf. It was a supernatural shaking of the house and the dishes were clappering on the sideboard and an elder who was standing next to Duncan Campbell remarked to him, Mr. Campbell, an earthquake. And he said, yes, And he gave the the blessing, the benediction, because they thought they had to get out for their safety. And then they went outside. And when they walked outside, this is what Duncan Campbell says, they found a community awake with an awareness of God's presence. The community had come to the church. Men and women were carrying chairs and stools. And they asked a question. You know what the question was? Is there any room for us? in the church <laughs> is there any room for us in the church we will buy and sell people we'll give them an ipod and a raffle to get them into the church but when God moves they're asking us is there any room do you see the difference let's pray now just before we sing or we do anything else do you need to repent all right and we can look in front of us and behind us and beside us, and we can look at our church and our pastor, oh, you know, he needs to repent. So sure everybody's pastor needs to repent. You know, we've got a lot to say about our pastors or our ministers or our movements or our churches. Look, forget about everybody else, and just look at yourself for a moment. Do you need to repent of anything? Anything that in you could block the fullness of blessing and revival? revival starts here in the heart revival starts with me like Gypsy Smith said you you draw a circle around yourself and you don't get out of it and you pray for God to revive your heart that's how revival starts personal revival are you caught in your own hypocrisy you're opposing this that and the other in our wayward society but there's there's a fifth column there's a Trojan horse in your own life about humility. We're very proud aren't we? We can be very arrogant. Some evangelical Christians are the most arrogant people they're pukes at times and we we need to lose that we need to lose that we need to start washing people's feet we need to start serving them not telling them you need to be like us that's the way they hear us you need to be like us, God help them if they get like us we need to become like Jesus we have no problem getting people to Jesus if we're like Jesus repentance what about confidence what about knowing who you are and what, what the promises of God are and what about faith what about warfare are we willing I think I said it last week like Gideon to chop down our father's idols, our four forebearers' idols in our own backyard. Boy, there's a lot of chopping needing done here in Ulster. Chopping down loyalism. Chopping down nationalism. Chopping chopping down denominationalism. Chopping down all these idols, orange and green idols. How are we on all that? say we want revival what about that type of warfare united prayer persevering prayer I don't know Mitch talked about VCRs I don't know if God well he wouldn't have VCRs in heaven he'd moved on to digital now I'm sure but um, I used to think of him having videos of my life my prayer life this is only my imagination but videos of my prayer life and pray for something for a wee while and I'd be fast and pray and hang in there and Give up. And the video might show God was just ready, just ready to give me. It. And can I change that? It wasn't God was ready to give me it, okay? I'm listening to the moon teaching tonight. I was ready to receive it. Okay? God was ready to give it the first day. That's what he said to Daniel with the 21 days of his persevering. I heard you the first day, but it was a battle. There's often more going on in the heavenlies than we know. But what I'm trying to say to you is we need to learn how to pray through again. We need to persevere. Insistent persistent prevailing prayer. It's that type of praying that sees revival. And Jesus must be at the center of it all as we said last week. And I don't want any of you making promises or doing anything that's going to be a rod for your back because you'll not keep it but would you be able to say today I'm going to say to Jesus Lord please teach me to pray properly teach me to pray in a way that will revive my own heart and revive my family and revive my my fellowship group my church and revive my my part of the world my town, revive my, my community, maybe even revive my nation teach me to pray like that